0: Children's Church, you are now dismissed, so we'd like you to go and enjoy across the hall. My wife got a, uh, a set of tickets from a friend of ours. Those set of tickets uh, made her very happy because she was invited, and I got to go too to a meet and greet with the Timberwolves. Now, we went to the meet and greet, and we got there, and they lined us up, and after they lined us up, they handed us an approved document that we would be allowed to use to meet and greet the Timberwolves. It was a picture of them. They lined us up. And then what they said was, "Now walk down. You can't. Stop, you can say hi. You have them sign their autograph on their picture, and then you'll keep going." I thought this was a meet and greet. Yes, this is a meet and greet. No, it's a cattle line. I didn't say that, but I sure thought that. And sure enough, we lined up. Hello, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we got through, and we were through the line in about five minutes. And we even, uh, probably the highlight was getting a hug from Crunch and a picture with him. Wasn't much of a meet and greet. Recently, a friend of ours called up and said, Greg, I'd like you to meet a player. I'd like you to meet somebody I've been mentoring. And so, what, what he did was, we, he got his tickets. Actually, the player got his tickets to the game. We got a fancy little pass. And after the game, we were taken to a section. And as we sat there and waited, our friend gave us the backstory, the history of this, this player. He said, Greg, this player, when, he was, when his parents were 14, they had him. And by age three, his dad had been killed. You see, both parents were gang members. And he said even during the pregnancy, mom was kidnapped by a rival gang. And he just started sharing the stories, the backstory on this young man's life. And then we had the opportunity to meet Him and talk to Him and share with Him and, and just converse with Him. And even though it wasn't for a very long time, we were able to touch heart to heart. And afterwards, I went to my friend and I said, hey, you, he, he treats you like an uncle, doesn't he? You're like, you're like a second dad to him. He goes, Greg, he didn't have a dad. And so, God, in His graciousness, has given me Him almost like His Son. That's the backstory. We're going to be studying Jesus up close and personal. My goal is for us not to be in a cattle line, but to really get to know Him over the next few weeks. But to do that, we have to begin with the backstory. We have to start with understanding who He is. And so we're going to tap one of His friends this morning. The one known as the beloved disciple. The one who was there when every other disciple ran away. He stood by the cross. In fact, He was so uh, uh, with Jesus that Jesus says, I'm going to give you the one earthly possession I have that I treasure. And that's, will you care for my mom? Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. So this guy knows Jesus. He knows the backstory. And we're going to look at his backstory. We're going to get that first. And that's found in the book of John, verse 1 in chapter 1. John 1 1. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that's a very provocative statement. Some of you are going, what? My eyes kind of glazed over when you read that, Pastor. It's not a provocative statement, but it is. He says something so remarkable, so significant, that it becomes critical to our faith. So write it down. This landmark, foundational verse upon which your faith rests is critical for us. Yes, there was no highlighting. There were no angelic courses, The doves didn't fly. The fireworks didn't blow. But trust me when I say this is a critical verse to our faith. Now, I could take a month just to go over this verse. But I won't. We're going to take the 10,000 foot view. We're going to kind of look down. And and so that may give you some more ideas or some more questions. And I'm going to encourage you to dig deeper for yourself. But let's understand this verse. But to understand this verse, we need to understand the pen. By understanding the pen God used, we understand the interpretive key to this passage. And the pen is the writer. The pin is John, as I said, the beloved apostle. He was the youngest of the twelve. He was was the only one not to die a martyr's death. Not that they didn't try. History tells us that he was dipped in a vat of boiling oil. But God miraculously protected him. John would go on to pin 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation. And so, we have John. He is the pen. Now, in Second Peter 1.21, we're told that prophecy doesn't come by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they are moved by the Holy Spirit, as they are carried along. Now, I don't want that word prophecy to throw you. The word prophecy is not just foretelling, but it's forthtelling. It is the declaration of God's truth. So John is carried along by the Holy Spirit as he picks up his pen. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's all God-breathed. But like a master artist... God carefully picks His brushes or His pens. A master artist will pick a certain brush because it will do a certain thing on the canvas. It will hold the paint a certain way. It will allow for a very special application to paint what was in the mind of the artist. And the same is true as we come to the Scriptures. God uses particular pens. He uses a pen named John three things I want you to know about John before we go on. Number one, John was simple. He was an ordinary man. They drag him and Peter in front of the Sanhedrin. They're they're questioning him. And you know what happens? They go, we're amazed. He is an uneducated and ordinary man, it says in Acts chapter 4. We don't get it. How could he say the things he says? And they say, "Oh, but he did hang out with Jesus." But he's simple, and understand that when John writes, he writes in the simplest language of all the New Testament books. I remember as a young Greek student, I'd went into uh, Professor Russell's class, and I'd sit there, and, and he said, "Okay, now we're going you're gonna." to translate for the very first time all right where are we turning the book of john why prof because it's the easiest there is and you need the easiest there is yeah you're right prof and so we began to to translate it and it's the simplest easiest most straightforward And John does not ever write from mysticism. He doesn't write from philosophy. He doesn't write from complex theory. He just writes simply, straightforward, and from the heart. John's writings will be the most heartfelt in the New Testament. What you see is what you get from John. Second thing I want you to remember is that he is the lover of metaphor. That is, he loves to take two unrelated items and bring them together and compare them so you can understand them. For example, you're going to read that he talks about good and evil, but he doesn't call it good and evil. He calls it light and darkness. When he describes Jesus, he uses words like shepherd. The vine were the branches. I am the bread. I am the light. He uses metaphors. And we're going to see one of those metaphors in a moment. So so keep, keep that in mind when we look at John. Notice also with me this morning, he is convinced of the incarnation. He is convinced that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And he wants you to be convinced of this as well. A funny story comes from John's later life. He was living in Ephesus. And there was a guy there by the name of Serinthus. And Serinthus believed this. He believed that Jesus was born just a man and he stayed just a man until the Spirit of God came upon him. He made him God for a short time, but before he dies on the cross, the Spirit leaves and he becomes man again. Now, in doing that belief, that renders... Everything about Jesus worthless. for a man cannot die for our sins. It, he cannot bring reconciliation between God and man. Jesus would, according to Cinthus, was just a good guy who died on a cross by mistake. Now, John wrote, first John, second John, third John, all that was to rebut. Serenthus, to tell him, no, you're wrong. And so John is goes to the bathhouse. They had these bathhouses you'd go to. Everybody come together, get clean. So he goes into the bathhouse and he hears that Serenthus comes. And it is said that he grabs his towel, wraps it around him, and runs out. This elderly man runs out screaming quick, run, run, this building is going to collapse because that evil man, Serenthus, has entered. And so you have this picture of this, this godly disciple of Christ running through the streets with a towel on. Why? Because he was evil in John's sight because he denied the deity of Jesus Christ. So John is going to be convinced of that. And as we plow into that today, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Notice with me next. Let's set the stage. John uses three words. In the beginning. Remember Remez? That thing I taught you a little while back? He's Remezing. Why? Because his teacher, the Lord, taught him to do that. He wanted them to think back. Go back. What does it mean in the beginning? Now, friends, in the beginning, Genesis 1 is powerful. And yes, it is laying out the creation of the world. But don't get stuck just saying that's all it is. It is God's declaration to the universe that He is God. Notice what we find in Genesis chapter 1. He's got the ability to create out of nothing. He is creative beyond compare. He is wiser than all wisdom. He is God. And John brings us back there to have us realize, you know what, who I'm talking about, the divine Jesus, he's the same as the God of Genesis 1. But notice also something else happens. Everything God does, he speaks. He speaks. Let there be light, and it's so. Let there be animals, and everything he speaks, the power of the word. Take that and tuck that away. We're going to see it in just a moment. John lays out through this whole thing what it's all about. God who speaks, he speaks, and that which is incomprehensible becomes tangible. That which is untouchable becomes material. Lands become real. Sky, sun, stars, even life itself now is experienced and touched and smelled and seen and heard and tasted. That which is unknown becomes known because all because of the voice, the words of God. Now let's go to the next part. In the beginning was the Word. Why would John follow up with that metaphor, that picture, the Word? Why would he use it to describe Jesus? Now, we know it's Jesus because John, in John 1.14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's no doubt that the Word is Jesus. Now, good principle here. John hints that in verse 1 and then he makes it clear in verse 14. For those of you who are in relationships no hinting. Make it clear. I'll often have a couple come into my office and they'll say Pastor Greg we just don't understand each other I say this and I say this and I I told him that and, and I go okay did you say it or did you hint it? Well I hinted it, but I I went and checked with all my girlfriends and they all got it. Or I talked with all my guy friends out as we were working on the car. They all got it. Okay, rule number one about relationships. Boy, girl, not alike. Okay? So, ladies, you give a hint that all your girlfriends would get, guess what? The guy's going doesn't get it doesn't stick guys you give a hint all your guy friends go yeah yeah i don't get her problem she should have got why because we're wired different we think different we act different we react different so if you want to have a good relationship no hinting and john models that i'll give you a little bit of hint but guess what boom here's the fact Jesus is God in the flesh. We call that Jesus being fully God. But, but why the word? Why this metaphor? Why would John use the word? Well, think about words. Words are powerful, aren't they? Words can cause us to shape how we feel. They can bring freedom or place someone in bondage. They can bring hope or they can bring despair. They can bring joy. They can bring sorrow, love, or hate. Words are powerful. I love Stephen Covey's story that illustrates this. Perhaps you've heard it. A group of people get on a bus. They're going down and they make a stop and this man gets on the bus. And he has two children and they sit down and the man's all, he's off in la-la land. Don't know what he's thinking about. And so the kids are running up and down in the bus and they're, they're just being as obnoxious as little kids can be. You know, they're bumping into people and sticking out their tongues and yelling and screaming, running and wanting everything. And so finally, someone on the bus had had enough. He taps the guy on the shoulder. Hey, mister, your kids, they're out of control. Why don't you do something? And you could just feel the anger on the bus towards his father and the children. And three little words. Oh, I'm sorry. Their mother Just left the hospital room. I don't know how to handle it, and they don't know either. I am so sorry. Their mother died. The bus changes. In an instant, anger becomes comes compassion. Quick, let me wrap my arms around your children. Let me encourage you. What do you need? Why? Just through the power of words. Words are powerful. Words also paint pictures. What comes to your mind when I say dog? You got it? Hot chocolate. How about something like this? A summer afternoon with burgers sizzling on the grill. The smell of potato salad. The lapping of the lake as the trees rustle in the slight breeze. Does a picture come to your mind? Will you be here next week or will you find that place? (laughs) Words paint pictures. Two men were in a nursing home. One's... bed was next to the window. One was far away. He couldn't see out. And so the one next to the window would always just look out and say, oh, you should see it. There's three little kids and they're, they're playing in the park. Or, hey, there's a father with his son and they're flying a kite. Oh, here's what it looks like as they're sledding in the snow. Oh, you should see this. And he would paint pictures with his words. One night, the man by the window passed away. The nursing staff said, would you, would you like to be have your bed moved next to the window since he's gone? And the man said, sure, I'd like, to, I'd like to see what I've been hearing all this time. And he got moved to the window and they opened the shade and guess what he saw? A brick wall. His friend had been painting pictures with his word. Words can paint pictures and they can make the unknown known. They can make the unseen seen. They can deal with the abstract. And that's why I believe that he's called the Word. Because words can take an abstract concept and make it tangible, make it touchable. They can make the unknown known, the invisible, real. And God is the ultimate abstract concept. I mean, think about it. Jesus sits with the woman at the well and she goes... Okay, well, how do we worship? You guys worship here and worship. And he says, God must be worshiped in spirit and truth because God is spirit. What comes to your mind when you think spirit? Something you can't touch. Something you can't see. Something you can't feel. The Holy Spirit's compared to the wind. In the Old Testament, Israel was led by a cloud by day and fire by night. Even Moses sits in front of God, but he never truly sees God. So God is this incomprehensible thing. One man, when he was asked, he says, what do you think of when you think of the word God? He goes, I see a mist and nothing else. No wonder we've tried to make him an elderly man who looks like Morgan Freeman. Our minds can't comprehend God. There was a little girl who was sleeping in her room. She woke up frightened. Parents rushed in and and they comforted her. And they said, sweetie, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And she's going, okay, can you stay with me? No, no. Sweetie, we got to go back. We got to go back to our bed. But it's okay, God's here with you. If you get scared, just ask God. He's here with you. And so every few minutes, she would cry out, Mom, Dad, can you come? No, sweetie, God's with you. You're okay. That went on for several minutes. Finally, she said this, Mom, Dad, I've been talking with God. And he said you needed to send somebody with skin on. That's exactly what God did. The Word became flesh. God sent God with skin on. He made the incomprehensible something you could understand. Think about it. The, this guy I said earlier who said, all, when he thinks of God, all he sees is a mist. He says, but when I say the word Jesus, it all comes into focus. Does it not? The word became flesh. That's why John, John 14, I love what, what happens. Philip's talking with the Lord, and he's Philip says, Lord, Lord, show us the Father. Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you see me, Colossians two nine. For in Him the fullness of deity bodily dwells. Hebrews one one through three. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world." He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The word that's used for one purpose to make the unknown, the unseeable God seen and touched and experienced. You say, Come on, Greg, are you pushing that a little too far? Turn with me to John first John chapter one verse one. That which was from the beginning mm, sounds like John one one, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hand, concerning what? The word of life. Verse 2, and the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Why the Word? Because the Word takes that which is unknown, that which is untouchable, that which is unexperienceable and makes it real to us. Now, friends, I'm going to get to do something I've never had the privilege of doing before. Never. You see, up to this point, I've always been an associate pastor, and so you're assigned a week, and you preach the week, and you better get your sermon done in the week. Guess what? I don't think it's going to happen this morning. So we got two options. I can go for another 30 minutes or you can come back next week and, and hear... <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Glad you got my back there, bro. But we're going we're gonna to do it. So worship team, just want to let you know we just made it audible and you'll have to come back and find out what all these things were for. But friends, I want you to anchor yourself on this. Number one, in the beginning, the Word. The Word is Jesus come as God with skin on. And because He could be God with skin on, He could die in our place. He could reconcile us with God and man. Because of the fact He is the Word, we can celebrate this table today. And we can experience firsthand the power of the blood of Jesus Christ.